Well, amen. As they're exiting, let them know you appreciate them and you're going to be back tonight. By the way, they have some tickets. It's free tonight, but they have some tickets you can give out, invite your friends, your loved ones. Just give them this ticket. Say, hey, I want to invite you to come tonight at Lindsay Lane at 6 o'clock to hear our children's musical. And I guarantee you, you'll be blessed by being here tonight at 6 o'clock. I want to say a, a word of appreciation also to Stacy Wolf and all of her leaders. You can see how many leaders they have on Wednesday night. While they're over there doing their thing, if you will, they're studying about God's Word, they're, they're singing, all of those things. But we're over here in the sanctuary, the adults and the students are in the student ministry on Wednesday night. So we meet here at 6.30 on Wednesday night. So bring your children, bring yourself, and you come and have a good time. I guarantee you, Wednesday nights, if you check it out, it's a lot of fun. We have a good time here, and we're studying verse by verse through the book of Second Peter right now in, our, in this sanctuary. And so uh, come be a part of Wednesday nights. You'll be glad you did, and you won't, uh, you won't miss any shows or any movies. we got DVRs now, right? So you can just tape them, uh, just like I did the A-Day game. You can just tape them, right? And uh, when you know how to learn how to do that... When you go through a class to learn how to do those things, then you can uh, do that. But anyway, uh, thank you. Thank you, students. Thank you, workers, so much tonight at 6 o'clock. Again, I, I just want to say thank you for being here. I, I love you guys. I really do. I love my church. I love my people. And uh, I was, we were talking this morning in our connect groups about the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. And we were talking about what love means. And I found out something about little Johnny. Little Johnny, they asked Little Johnny, said, what does love mean, Little Johnny? How would you describe what love really means? He said, well, it probably means something like this. When you go out with your girlfriend, you splash on a lot of cologne, she splashes on a lot of perfume, and you just go out and smell each other. <laughs> love, that's what love means, right? I love you guys. I'm glad you're here today. Thank you for being here. Open your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 1. We'll be in chapter 1 for a moment, then we're going to jump into chapter 2. I'm excited, again, about this series, about going through the book of, uh, of uh, Revelation, and I trust that you are as well. I hope you're reading. Uh, just take time to read the passage, maybe get you a commentator or something like that, or, uh, or some study helps, and go through it yourself and do your own study, and then maybe I'll say something that you'll agree with, all right? And so that's the way you study. You've got to study on your own as well. Last week, we talked about the king is coming. By the way, Jesus is coming back. And I'm excited about that. You know what? I'm building my whole life around that. Aren't you? I'm telling you, he's coming back. I believe that with all of my heart. That's what my faith is in. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's coming back for me. He's coming back for the church. Coming back for our missionaries, all of those that love Christ. He's coming back for his bride. And so John described... Uh, the person behind the voice in verse number 10. Look in chapter 1 and look in verse number 10. John's the writer here. We talked about all this. I did an uh, extensive, extensive introduction last week. Somebody said it was like drinking out of a fire hose. You just gave us too much, really. But I want to cover this as best that I can. And so I want to talk to you today of what John saw. What did John see in, in chapter 1, then we're going to get into the church of Ephesus in chapter 2. But I want you to see this. In verse number 10, John said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a voice. See, he's led by the Spirit of God. He's, uh, God's opening up heaven to him by, in, a, in the Holy Spirit. He's on the Isle of Patmos, right? 
And so God's opening up heaven. He said, I heard a voice behind me like the sound of a trumpet. Wow. You know what that reminded me of when I read that? The Wizard of Oz. I have a strange imagination anyway, but I do. But remember behind the curtain? I am the great and powerful Oz. I mean, Dorothy was shaking and the lion, oh my word, the lion. No courage, right? Anyway, and so I thought about that and I thought, here's John. He's on the Isle of Patmos. He's breaking rocks. He's a prisoner there in exile. And all of a sudden, he gets to look into heaven and the Holy Spirit of God's moved upon him. And behind him, he hears a loud voice like a trumpet blowing. And you know who that is, don't you? It's Jesus. And he's about to speak to John in the Spirit, but he's right there with him. John's looking into heaven, and he's seeing all of this. It's awesome. It really is. Now look in the next verses. What did the voice say to him? He didn't say, I'm the great and powerful Oz. He said, I am the great Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. I am the I am. And look what he says. I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, John, writing a book, and send it to the seven churches, which we're going to talk about in a moment. And he lists the seven churches there. Then verse number 12. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. We'll talk about those. I saw the seven golden lampstands. Now here's where he's starting getting into the symbols. In the imagery, in the pageantry of revelation. He's starting to give us some symbolisms here. Now watch this. Verse number 12. I saw, having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, it was one like the Son of Man. He was clothed in a garment down to the feet, a robe, if you will, of royalty, and he was girded about with a chest with a golden band, the priestly king, remember? His head and his hair were white like wool, purity, purity, and it's white like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. There again, the light. He's the light. His feet were like fine brass as it, in the steadfastness as is, is refined in a furnace. And his voice as the sound of many waters. Authority. He was authoritative and said he had in his hands, look what he had in his right hand, seven stars. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. Of course, you know that's the word of God, right? And so he said it was a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like sun shining in its strength. The majesty of Jesus. See, he's in his glorified state. He is risen. He was on the cross. He died for us. He was the son of man. But he's the son of God. And now John is seeing him in his glorified state. He's seeing him in his... You and I are going to have a glorified body when we're resurrected. You know that? And he's seeing Jesus as the majesty, the royalty, the Son of God, as well as the Son of Man. And then in verse 17, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. By the way, when we get to heaven, we're going to fall down. We're going to fall down at the feet of Jesus, just like John did. And we're going to sing glory in the highest. We're going to worship him. And John is just struck by the Lord, and he falls down. He can't already stand in sight that he's seeing. Falls down like a dead man and said to me, he, Jesus said, don't be afraid. Don't you like Jesus? You know, when you're in your storm, when you're in your trouble, he puts his hand on you and says, don't be afraid. 
I got this. I got this. I am the first. I am the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. By the way, did y'all read that? What does it say? Amen. Say it again. Say it louder. Oh, I love it. Now you got it. It's in the Bible. See, when you say amen, you're being scriptural. Anyway, I'll tell you. Some of you caught it, some of you working on it. And I have the keys of Hades, the abode, if you will, the abyss and death. The grave, you could say, write the things which you have seen and the things which are even now and the things which will take place after this. And that's what we're going to read further on in the book of Revelation. And then he comes to verse number 20. I'm going to camp out here just for a moment. I want you to see verse 20. This is a very interesting passage of Scripture. The mystery... Now, when you see the word mystery in the New Testament, I think it's 27 times or so that it's used, it means a hidden truth. Hidden by who? Hidden by God. But God's revealing it in the New Testament. Paul knew that. Paul talked about the mysteries. We'll see that. John knew about the mysteries. And he said, hey, the mysteries now is being unfolded. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, and the seven stars, he, he explains some of the symbols. Now, okay, look what he says. What were those seven stars? They are the angels or the messengers to the seven churches. Now, some scholars believe these are the messengers or the bishops or the pastors that were given to the church and the seven churches. They're the seven stars, the seven angels. And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. And so he's talking about this mystery here, and he gives us the mystery, gives us some of that, the seven stars or the pastors or the messengers, and then the seven lampstands or the churches. We'll talk more about that. Now, much of the difficulty in interpreting the apocalypse uh, revelation comes through the identification of the characters and the symbols. And so uh, that's why a lot of people are afraid to read it. A lot of pastors don't preach it because of the symbolism and because of all the characters that represent. But a lot of times you use the other passages of Scripture, like Daniel and Zechariah and Ezekiel, and all of them kind of explain some about Revelation because they were hidden truths. And I'm going to explain to you later on why they use symbolism, but they were hidden truths to be revealed at an appointed time. And now he's appointed this time for John to explain to us the book of Revelation as much as our finite man minds can absorb the great mysteries of the Bible. Now, why were they used in mysteries? Why, why was it such a mystery? And what does this mystery mean? I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 3 just for a moment. I want to show you something to help you understand. I'm going to be, I'm in, got my teaching hat on today. I want to teach more than preach, uh, if you can separate that. I can't at times. But anyway, I want to show you something. Ephesians chapter 3, look in verse number 2. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 2. How in the world can my little finite mind absorb and understand the things that God has for us? Who is infinite above us. His thoughts, our ways are above us. So how can I understand these things? Well, most people just give up. I can't understand. I'm not going to read it. But listen to what Paul says. Verse 2. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. And by the way, he's writing to the Ephesian church here. Now, how, look verse 3. How that by revelation, he, God, has made known to me the mystery 
as I have briefly written already. See, Paul is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as well as he writes the book. So were all the authors. They were under God's inspiration. I talked about this Wednesday night. The Bible is God-breathed. The, one that, the people that wrote the Bible, the authors of the Bible, were under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, just like John is, Paul was. Look in verse 4. By which, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Now, jump down to verse 9 and 10. Don't miss this. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Now, here he's explaining the mystery. That we may see the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. It's been a hidden truth. The mystery's been a hidden truth. And that's why a lot of people today with PhDs and degrees can't understand it because they don't have the Holy Spirit in them, revealing to them the truth of God's Word. But as a Christian, you and I have the Holy Spirit living in us. So we can understand stuff that even the world can't even understand it. That's why they don't understand us. Because they don't understand Him. Now watch this, verse number 10, don't miss it. To the intent that now the manifold or the various wisdom of God may be made known by the church to the principalities and the powers in the heavenly places. That is spiritual things. So what he's saying, I'm revealing to the church the mysteries of the Bible. I do that through the preachers, through the the messengers, and through the churches, but also do it to you because you're a priesthood of the believer now. You and I have the Holy Spirit in us that we can ascertain and that we can understand God's Word if we really want to understand it and ask God to reveal it to us. That's how you study the Bible. God, reveal to me your wisdom. Make known to me. Make this Scripture make known to me and and pray through that. Now, all all things you're not going to understand. It's just some ways are above us and His thoughts are above us. But I wanted to show you that because you don't have to say, well, it's all just a mystery to me. Well, it's, we've been revealed to these truths. It's been revealed to us. So I, I wanted to bring that out. Only the Christians can fully understand. That's why the Bible says in Romans 1-7, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing how? Through the Word of God. You've got to read the Word of God. You've got to study the Word of God. And that's why in Revelation he says over and over, He who hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, and so the mystery that seven, the seven uh, stars in chapter, in verse 20, are seven messengers to the church. Now, the seven golden lampstands. I want you to look at this on the screen. This is a picture of a lampstand that was used in the temple in the Old Testament. All right, pull that up, this picture. This is a menorah. Now, this has seven Seven, that's a lampstand with six branches and the seventh in the middle. Watch this. Now, these are the lampstands he's talking about. These represent today what we're going to be talking about as the seven churches, right? This is the menorah. Now, this is fueled by oil. They would put the oil and they would light it, and each one of these branches are fueled by the oil. Now, oil in the Bible represents the Holy Spirit. You do know that, right? Now, get this. Watch this. Seven churches fueled by the Holy Spirit. 
And that's why he says, I'm about to show you these seven churches that represent every era, era and represent all the history of the churches. And they are fueled by the Holy Spirit. I've given each one of these seven churches a star, a pastor, or an angel. They're over the churches. That's why you have a pastor here, right? God's gift to the church is a pastor. If you want to look at it that way, a messenger. And so God's writing to the seven churches through John. John is writing to the seven churches. That's who Revelation is addressed to, the seven churches of Asia Minor. Now, we're going, to, we're going to talk about each one of these seven in chapter 2 and 3 of uh, Revelation. All right? And so we want to understand what these seven lamps, they represented the seven churches. They're fueled, if you will, by the Holy Spirit of God, just like the lampstand. He uses as a symbol. The pageantry and the imagery has symbolic meaning to it, just like this lampstand does. All right? But before John addresses the, uh, the revelation, and I know all of you are so eager as I am to get in and let God roll back the curtain and look at all of what's going to happen in the end times, in the rapture, in the tribulation, in the millennial kingdom. And, you know, God, God's going to judge Israel and all the seven trumpets and the seven vials and all of that. I know you want to get into that. A lot of people are so eager about prophecy. But... Before John reveals that to us, first he takes us to the seven churches in chapter 2 and chapter 3. And we're going to look at these. Today we'll look at one, the city of Ephesus. Now look in your Bible at uh, chapter 2, chapter 2, and look in verse number 1. Here's the first one of the seven. Now they represent all the churches, symbolic of all the churches in all the era, eras and all of history. To the angel, or the messenger, or you could say the pastor, of the church of Ephesus, I want you to write. These things, says he, who holds the seven stars, that's the seven messengers of the churches, in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now, I want you to notice something as we begin to get into this. I want you to think about, uh, uh, as you begin to search for a church... What's some of the things that you look for? Now, some of you have recently joined Lindsay Lane. You've moved into the area, and you're looking for a new church home. And we're going to test out, and we're going to try uh, Lindsay Lane. Now, what are some of the things that you're looking for a new church you look for? Well, you look for the facilities. Wow, this is a nice-looking church. As you drive by Lindsay Lane, you say, wow, what a big old church. And what a nice-looking facility. We do, a, we do a good job of keeping up our facilities. We try to, you know, uh, update when we can and need to. And so it's nice. We have a nice children's facility, state-of-the-art children's facility. We really do. We're investing in the next generation. And so you say, well, I want to check out their children's ministry. i got some little kids here, and I want to see what we got for children. i got students. I want to see what my students are going. And we'll go over to the foundation center and look at our student facilities and all of that. Or maybe I want to check out the preacher. I want to see what the preacher sounds like. Is he too long? Is he too loud? Or whatever. Are you checking it out? All right. And so I'm both. All right. And so you're checking it out. And, uh, and so you say, what am I looking for? But have you ever thought about this? What it looks like on the outside may not be what it is on the inside. Right? A lot of people say, oh, I thought this was a big old uppity church until I got in here and heard the pastor's country is cornbread. <laughs> this is a down-home church. That's what I'm looking for, man. These are just everyday common folk. We're blue-collar church. I fit right in here. It's not like it looks outside. You ever thought about this? 
Boy, it looks great. Man, what a nice-looking church. And you come in, and it's deader than 4 o'clock. Wow, it's not what I thought. This church is dead. This congregation is dead. There's no vision here. There's nothing happening. You can't always judge by the outside what's on the inside. Here's my point. Jesus is looking on the inside at these seven churches. They got a lot of fluff. They got a lot of good stuff. But Jesus looks on the inside of the church like he looks on the inside of you. You may look religious. You may act religious. And you may fool a lot of people. But Jesus is looking at your heart. He's looking at my heart too. He's looking at the heart of this church. Right? And a lot of times we get caught up in all the external stuff. But what is Lindsay Lane when it gets down to the brass facts of what we are in the inside of us? Are we holy? Are we righteous? Are we spiritual? And by the way, are we alive? Amen? I believe we're alive. It's a lively church. And so as we go into these churches, I want you to think about what I just said. As we evaluate with the John and with Jesus, let's evaluate and do our evaluation as well. And think about Lindsay Lane as we do our evaluations. I'm doing that. Hope you are too. Now, church at Ephesus. Uh, here's a picture. I want to show you a couple of pictures of the city of Ephesus. I really thought about these things. And uh, by the way, these came to my mind this morning. And I asked Daniel to throw them up. <laughs> I'm, all, I'm always spontaneous. He does. He's an awesome man. I really think. Now, I have been to Ephesus. And by the way, I'm going to Jerusalem next year. You want to go with me? Sign up. Taking a, I'm taking a, b- a bus load to Jerusalem. I mean, to Israel next year. The city of Ephesus, this is the ruins. This was a great city. It was a metropolitan city. It was only, it's a coastal city. And the Algean Sea is right there. And I'm telling you, this is a state of the art in its day, if you will. It was a state of the art. I mean, it was, a, it was left. Get this. Here's some of the pastors, some of the leaders. Paul. Paul stayed there for about three years. Timothy was a pastor of Ephesus. Even John. John is writing. John was there in Ephesus for a number of years. Now, look at the next scene. It excavated. They, they excavated. This is an amphitheater. It'll hold 24,000. Now, think about when that was erected. At 24,000. I've, I've had the pleasure of walking in there and sitting in there. Unbelievable. The acoustics, I can just imagine. They didn't have really all this microphone systems and technology we have. But they had it, it was built for the acoustics. And so there is Ephesus. I just wanted you to see it as we talk about it. A great church. If you pass by, you'd say, I'm going to that church. It's a big church. It's a big church. A lot of people are there. It's kind of going to be like heaven. A lot of people in heaven. I'm going to go there. And so Lindsay Lane's a big church too. But it's a big church, okay? Now look at it. I want you to look in chapter 2. We're going to look at verse number one. I just wanted you to see that. Uh, it was a great church. Now, I want to give you a few things in your outline. I hope you're taking this outline, writing on it, and taking it home or whatever. Ephesus is the loveless church. It's referred to as the loveless church. All right? And we're about to dive into that. Now, I want to give you a few things about it. Number one, John is about to address, by the way, Jesus is writing through John. John's just writing it down, but Jesus is speaking. It's all red letter. So Jesus is speaking. 
Now he says, I want you to write, John, to the church at Ephesus what I'm about to give you. Now the first thing he gives them is the commendation of their works. He commends them. And by the way, all these churches have commendations. He commends them. Hey, you're doing a good job. You really are. And he brings out the commendations. Now look in verse 2 and 3. I know your works, Jesus says, how you labor, you got patience, you're enduring, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. In other words, you don't like sin. You hate sin like I do. And you're, you have tested those who say they are apostles and they're not. They're fake. They're heretics. And you, you're, you're exposing them. And they say they're apostles or leaders or prophets, whoever, but they're not. And you found them to be liars. In verse 3, and you have persevered, you have patience, you have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Now, if you stop right there, you'd say, my word, this is a great church, man. Ephesus is a great church, and it was. And so he brings out the commendation. He always starts with affirmation. Now... I want to bring out a few things about this church and the commendations, and then we'll move on. Number one, they were a serving church. They were a serving church. Look there in verse 2. They were busy doing good works. Man, they were laboring. They weren't just sitting around idle. They were laboring. They had good works. Now, they were a serving church. They were busy. A busy, busy about ministry. They had probably a lot of ministries in that church, and they were a busy church, a typical church. No doubt their weekend schedules and weekday schedules were packed. Had a lot of activity there. They were also a sacrificing church. B is they were sacrificing church. Notice they labored. They labored. They toiled with exhaustion. They gave of themselves. I mean, their staff was awesome. They, they were always ministering. The people had a lot of volunteers. They were giving and giving out and really ministering to the people. They were a sacrificing church. C, they were a steadfast church. They were patient. They endured. They were steady, man. They were steady ready. And they, they were stuck to the stuff. And they were a steady church. They were patient. The word patience there in the Greek text means they endured under pressure. A lot of pressures in the church. And they, they endured. I imagine they went through a lot of business meetings and endured them, right? I've endured a few myself here. That's why we don't have them anymore. Can I get a witness? And so they endured a lot of hardship, and they were a steadfast church. We have one a year at the end of the year, so you can attend that one, all right? And you get to vote. All right, but number D, they were a sacred or spiritual church. They really were. They were a sacred spirit. They carefully examined those who preached. They just didn't let anybody in their pulpit. They just didn't let anybody come in and teach them doctrinal truths. They evaluated and observed and they were a sacred spiritual church. And they made sure they adhered to doctrine. Look in 2 John. Turn back to your left. It's got to go a few pages. 2 John and look in verse 9. First, second, third John. Right to your left. Go past Jude. And then there's 2 John. And I want you to look in verse 9. Look what he says in 2. This is John, by the way. The same one writing Revelation wrote this. He says this, whoever transgresses or sins and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him in your house or nor greet him. 
For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. In other words, he's speaking of a heretic. Those who are false prophets and false teachers and teaching stuff, stuff that's not biblically doctrinal. He says, don't do that. They were scriptural churches. And then Paul, by the way, Paul, and I'm talking about this in Second Peter, they all warned the people about false teachers. Raven wolves who come into the sheep and try to distort, distort and destroy the sheep with false teachings and false doctrines. Be careful, little children, what your ears are hearing. Make sure it lines up with the book. Amen? And I'm telling you, I'm very particular about who stands in this pulpit. Because I know when I'm out as the shepherd, somebody's in teaching my sheep, or the sheep. Let's just say that. And so I'm very particular about who I allow in here, because I'm, I'm, I take this literally. They were surviving church. Verse 3. Look at verse 3. You're surviving church. You have not become weary. Uh, my life verse is Galatians 6, 9. Let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we don't quit, if we don't grow weary. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Very important. And then they were a strict church. Number F. They didn't, they didn't allow false teachings, and they didn't allow false deeds. Now look in verse 6. So where do you get that? Verse number 6. This is another commendation. Verse 6. He says, but this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nickelodeons, and uh, which I also hate. Now notice that. I also hate. Now these, uh, the, the, the Nicolaitans, they were those who were, were prying on the people. They were those who were really promoting legalism. And what happened was they was bringing in leaders. And you look at that word uh, Nicolaitan. When you look at that in the Greek text, it means a ruler over people. And so these people were coming in and trying to promote legalism and ritualism in the church. And so Jesus says, listen, I don't like them either. They're trying to teach you things that shouldn't be taught. And so he commends them that they too stood against, against the uh, Nicolaitans, Nicolaitans. All right? And so the... When you look at that and you examine this church, you look at all of these things I've just shown you, you'd say, man, this is a great church. And Ephesus was a great church. It really was. And, uh, but it had its faults, like Lindsay Lane. I believe Lindsay Lane's a great church. I really do. Not because I'm the pastor, but because of you. It's a great church. But we have our faults. If you wanted to put us under a microscope, and by the way, you know what Jesus does with these seven churches? He puts them under the x-ray machine. It's not what's on the outside. He gets the x-ray. He does an MRI. He gets down in there and sees where you live and I live. Amen. And by the way, only he can do it. I can't do it. I'm not a fruit inspector. And you're not either. Only God knows what's in that MRI. And he's looking at the church, and he finds some things here. And I want to talk now, if you will. He's the only one among the lampstands that can make this kind of call, and he does. So number two, I want to give you the uh, condemnation, the condemnation of their heart. He gave them the commendation. He, he said, hey, you're doing some good stuff here, man. You're a good church. But I got some things I want to bring out that I want to uh, bring the commendation uh, if, to you in verse 4 and 5. Look in verse 4 and 5. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Wow. Ouch. Ouch. 
Remember, therefore, when you have fallen, repent, do the first works, or else I will come quickly and remove your church. Wow. I remove the lampstand from its place unless you repent. That is a very strong word from our Lord to this great church called Ephesus. By the way, it's a picture of many churches today who are very busy. Busy about doing stuff, things. But are we doing the main thing? Right? Are we loving Jesus? And by the way, as I examine this church, I'm examining ours. Are we motivated by love? Are we going through the motions of being a good church? Or are we motivated by the love of Christ in us? That spreads to those out there. You've got to have the love of Jesus in everything that we do. Or it's like we studied in 1 Corinthians. If it's not love, it'll fail. Love never fails. Never fails. And that's what he's trying to say. You're a great church. You've done all these good things. You're a strict, you're a surviving church, a spiritual church, all these things. But I've got something against you. You've left your first love. You've gotten away from me in some areas. And he brings that out. Now, here's the reason. A is the reason. Look at this. They had a lot of things. They had a heart problem, heart trouble. Somebody said the problem with the heart is the heart of the problem. The problem with the heart is the heart of the problem. And so they had all these good qualities. Here's a truth in your outline. Look at this. Here's a profound truth. I put it in your outline. What we do for the Lord is very important, but why we do it is essential. What we do on the outside, our works, all the things that we do, the ministries, all the good things we're doing are great. But the key is, why are we doing it? Amen? That's a profound thought. Why are we doing what we're doing? That is a great word, all right? And so too many times it's status quo. Now, how would you describe leaving your first love? And by the way, don't you notice, he didn't say you lost your first love. He said what? You left your first love. You haven't lost me. haven't lost you. You haven't lost your salvation. You've just left the fellowship of it. Amen? Now, what happens there? I remember my first love. It was Sylvia Kippy Drawdy. Her name, that's her name. It was in the first grade. I was in New Ellington Elementary School in Aiken, South Carolina. And I, she was in the second grade. I was in the first. First grade. I still remember. <laughs> and I, I just, I was fell in love with her. She just looked so nice. And so I had to move back to Alabama. All right. And so that's but I found my first love when I got here, all right? I found my first love when I got here. But I just thought I'd throw that in because all of us go through those little, we call them what, a puppy love? <laughs> puppy love. That was a puppy love, all right? That was one, I was in the first grade, six years old. Anyway, I really want to focus on this because I want you to understand, here's where some of you are. I'm talking to you. I want you to hear this. It's like the honeymoon stage of your marriage. This is what he's talking about. Wow, man, she's a beautiful thing. I'm telling you, I just, I, I just love her. I'm going to marry her. I'm going to marry him. He's so handsome. He's the love of my life. She's the love of my life. And then we do. We marry him. It's kind of like, you know, when you first met him, you want to eat him up, and now you wish you had. <laughs> kind of the way that's working. 
You know, I wish that, oh man, I don't know why. Anyway, and so you're in that honeymoon stage. You just really fell in love, and you love her, and you love him. And then what happened? Business. Status quo. Business as usual. Day in and day out. Now you've kind of drifted apart from one another. Oh, you're still married. Don't forget that. You're still married, but you're not. That love's kind of just drifting. You're not as close to her as you once were. You're not as close to him. You don't do the things and say the things you once did when you fell in love with him or her. And so John's telling the church the same thing, and it reminds me of something else. And this is what I really thought about, and this is one of the perfect examples of what I'm trying to tell you. It's like when you were a new Christian. I see this all the time with new Christians when they come in and be saved. They're on fire. They're passionate. Boy, they're enthusiastic. They want to do everything. Brother Randy, well, we got some, you know, they want to, I want to do, I want, I'm, I'm got saved. I'm a Christian. I was a hellion. I got saved. I love the Lord Jesus. And they start telling their friends. They start speaking to others. I got saved, man. I'm a Christian. And then time wears on. And a lot of times they start getting into ministries. And then and what happens sometimes is our first love starts focusing over to the ministry that we're ahead of or we're involved in. It's, that's, it ought to be your passion about it. And then you get busy in the community, you get involved in the leagues, get involved in the organizations in the community. Somebody told you you've done a good job out there and you're just, boy, you're giving it all you got. And now kids come along, you're involved with the kids all the time. And Jesus is saying, what about me? What happened to me? Where's that passion? Where's that fervency? Where's your enthusiasm about me? I'm your first love. I gave you life. I gave you joy. I gave you peace. And now you're out there everywhere, but I don't ever talk to you anymore. I don't ever see you anymore. Am I not your first love? And it happens to church folk. It happens to us. It's happened to me. It's happened to you. When I first got here at Lindsay Lane, I was, I was I'm a Christian man. I got saved. You know my testimony. You know what I got involved in more than God and Jesus? Church growth. Church growth. Growing the church. Became my number one priority, growing the church over family. A lot of stuff. And I don't know when it was, but God reeled me in. Probably 1979, when I stood before the church in revival, and I, I answered my own invitation. And I repented to God and to the church. that I, I can't do it anymore. I've had it. And I did that. I, I, I was at Witchy, and I was burning candles at both ends. And I said, I've just had it. And then I found out something. I'd left my first love. I was more in love with the church than I was the Creator. It stole my zeal from Him. And Dr. Murray Wilton helped me with that. God used him in my life to start getting along with him on Tuesdays and taking Fridays off. And now when I do my devotion time, it's me and Jesus. 
And I'm, more, I'm doing more now devotions than I am sermon preparation. Amen? See, it happens to me. I'm just giving you testimony. And it probably happened to you. Oh, you're coming to church. You're going through the motions. You're still doing some good stuff. But where is your first love? And that's what he says here. And we, we've gotten away from it. We've moved. Here's another example. When Patsy and I were dating, I had a 69 Nova. Oh, it was awesome. Had it jacked up in the back. Man, I was so cool. I was. I was cool. Anyway, uh, I'd go pick her up. And back then, it's before bucket seats, all right? It's bench seats. I'm just straight across. She'd get in that car. She'd slide right over toward me. I mean, right. you thought it was a two-headed driver. You really would. She was all over me. And it wasn't the cologne. It was me, baby. She was in love with Dusty. And I'm telling you, she was all over me. Put her hair, just thumbing my hair while I was driving. I put my arm around her. Yeah, man. Cool, cool. 69 Nova. Cool, baby. Blonde hair right there next to me. Finally got married. Years went on. Guess what? She's sitting over here now. What happened? I never moved. <laughs> I'm still driving. <laughs> and God says, hey, God said, I haven't moved. It must be you. My heart, Lord, is just not fire anymore. I'm just mundane. I'm going through the motions. I hear this a lot. People tell me this. I'm a spiritual lazy. Why wouldn't you hear this one? Well, I just got lazy. Now, what's happening is you're losing your first love. You better reevaluate this thing. Because the world is sapping you. They're zapping you. And that love and that energy, that enthusiasm, that fervency, they're sapping it away from Jesus. And we got to be very careful with it. All of us are in this boat. Everybody in here. Those watching by live stream. We're all guilty. And so Jesus says, listen, that's the reason. Well, you know, it's because of our position, our popularity, and our pleasures that pull us away. So what's the answer? The remedy is in verse 5. Remember, therefore, where you fall and repent and do the first works, or else I will come quickly and move your lampstand. Here's a great principle in your outline. We must first love Jesus fervently, then we can serve him faithfully. You don't serve him and then love him. You love him and then you serve. You serve out of the love of, for Jesus in your heart. Don't let, don't let the service or the ministry steal it. Or the community or the organization, whatever you're involved in, and giving all of your time and all of your energy to, don't let them sap your first love. All right? Let me give you these three things very quickly, how to be restored. Here they are. Number one, we must remember. We must remember the Greek word is a, is a past tense voice there. It's we must keep on remembering. What do you mean remember? Remember what Jesus did for you. You know why we take the Lord's Supper? We take the Lord's Supper to remember His body was broken, His blood was shed for us. Don't ever forget it. That's why we take the Lord's Supper. 
So he says, I don't want you to forget me, your first love. Remember, look what he says. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Remember where you were spiritually? Remember when you were in that connect group? Remember when you were in that care group? Remember when you were a deacon? Remember when you were serving in the community? Remember at work when you talked about Jesus? Remember how you told your children's bedtime stories about Jesus? Remember all of that? That's what he says. Don't forget that. Don't forget me. Don't forget that. Don't drift away. Number two, we must repent. What does that mean? It means a change of mind. Here's what it means. Watch this. You're going, you, you met Jesus Christ whenever you got saved. For me, it was October 3rd, 1979, 3 o'clock in the morning. For you, whenever it was, you got saved, got changed. You're walking toward Jesus. Me and Jesus walking down the road. And all of a sudden, Bob, community, this, that, things busyness and we start kind of getting over here pulled away we had not lost him we haven't lost our first love we've left it and we're walking this way toward the community toward this toward that whatever it is that's pulling you away from jesus he said you must repent you must change your mind but you know what we do I, I, let me just be bold for a moment this is one of those ouch things We'd rather change spouses than repent. We'd rather change churches than repent. I don't like that pastor. I don't like that Sunday school class. I'm out of here. Well, repent. It could be you. It may not be us. It may not be her. It may not be him. It could be you. Remember and repent. That's how you get back to your first love. Amen? Number three, we must repeat. Repeat your first works. Get back to the basics. We have a class here called, we started it, starting it back, by the way, in the fall, called Foundation Class. It's set up for new Christians, but I think a lot of people need to be in that class. Just remember the foundations of when you first met your first love. What does he say about that? Repent and do the first works. Get back to the basics. Amen? Now, here's my remedy. If it's your marriage that you've left your first love, you need to date again. Amen? Take her down to the Waffle House. Get the all-star. The all-star breakfast, I recommend it. It's got everything in there, all those good calories. I'm in there everywhere. A lot of other stuff in it, too. <laughs> but anyway, date your wife. Date your husband. You got kids now. They're pulling away. You got to be there. You got to be there for them. They did ball games. I mean, I've been to so many ball games. They know me personally up there at the ball field. I got seven grandkids, okay? I'm over here, I'm over there, did a funeral Saturday, I'm over here, can you do this, can you call me, can you meet me, boom, 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 where's Jesus? I'm doing your work, I'm doing some good, and I am, but I gotta have time with Jesus, you gotta have time with your wife, you gotta have time, I'm talking about quality time with your husband, and cultivate that marriage, you're in love, you said I do, and so you've got to date. Now, here's something else I want you to hear. I'm closing. You've got to learn how to date Jesus. That's right. 
Some of you have gotten so far away, you've got to go back to dating Jesus. I've gotten away from him, Pastor. I really have. My life's in a mess. Well, it may not even be in a mess, but I've gotten away from him. Here's, look, here's how you date Jesus. Get you a good devotion. By the way, if you don't have one, call me. I'll give you one. I've got plenty. I'll give you a devotional book. If you don't have one, just call me and say, I want one. I think I got enough. I may not. I'll give you what I got. By the way, there's hundreds on, online I can recommend. You've got to have devotion time. You've got to have prayer time. You've got to get along with Jesus. You just can't say, okay, hi, I love you, bye. You've got to have a few moments with him. And you start doing that, you start dating Jesus again, that love will come back. You've got to learn to date Jesus. And you've got to learn to date your spouse. Some of you need to date your kids. You've gotten away from being a father and a mother. Kids, some of you need to date your parents. That love's fading because everything else is vying for it. And so I just want to close, church. I'm telling you, this message is for Lindsay Lane. We are a good church full of business activities. Our calendar's practically full, usually. But are we a spiritual, God-loving, Jesus-honoring church? And the church is made up of people like you and I. Do I love Jesus? Is he first in my life? And I know if you may say, well, I, all of us could probably say, well, no, really. But where is he on a scale of one to ten? Do you need to fall back in love with Jesus and do the first works? You need to remember that. You need to repent. And you need to repeat the first works. And I'm telling you, when you do that, when you humble yourself, don't let pride get in the way. God will help you. I promise you. Father, in the name of Jesus, help us. We need to get back to our first love. Oh, Father, help us with this word today and help us with what's going on in our lives, in our homes, in our families, in our marriages, in our personal relationship with you. Lord, I know a lot of us have failed in this area. We've kind of let stuff pull us away. I have to fight distractions all the time. And one of those is my iPhone. Yeah, that hit home. One of those is my iPhone. I got to check on this, check on that. And sometimes they steal away our relationship and our and time in the Word. And so, Lord, I'm just praying today. Lord, just do a great work. Lord, I don't, I don't even know what else to say. I'm just saying, Father, you're going to have to stir people. You're going to have to get a hold of hearts. I believe I've been faithful to preach the message you've given me this morning. And, Father, I'm praying today. Help me, oh God. I'll be the first one at this altar. Help me, God, to restore the years that the locusts have eaten. And Lord, the things that have drawn me away from you. I just want that fervency. I want that touch. I want your blessings. I want your spirit in my life. Help me, oh Father. I need it. I love you. I do love you. And I pray you would help us today in these decisions. Some need to be saved. Some need to come and just pray at an altar. Maybe bring a family member of the family. Some need to come and join this church. This is a good church. And some just need to come and repent and do business with you. We'll help them if they need us in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? You've heard the invitation.
I'm trusting God speaking into our hearts. And I'm going to ask you to come as we sing. You come on right now. Take come on. Up thy cross.